Hey guys, welcome to episode 42, one of my favorite numbers, and for any fans of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you'd know this as the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. So maybe it's all found in episode 42 here of Bono Stuff. Uh, really happy to have Lee Povey, who was a world-class uh, cycling coach. Uh, jumped around a bit and uh, has a very cool story. Now he is involved with MYP coaching and uh, starts uh, some men's groups, which again is a huge thing. I had Laura McKaig on a few episodes ago talking about men getting checked for uh, pelvic health issues, which again can definitely rise up. Pardon the uh, joke, the pun, but uh, they, they can they can pop up and cause certain issues that we definitely want to stay on top of. Same thing here, men's groups. If you're interested, uh, reach out to me or Lee. We can get you linked in with those groups so that as a man, and again, there's there's a lot of outlets for women as well uh, and non-binary folks. Though there's plenty of outlets out there, we just need to connect you with them. Uh, again, great episode here. Hope you get a lot out of it. If you have any and all questions, uh, I'd really appreciate if you leave it in the comments. Reach out directly to one of us. Uh, leave a review. If you like it, even if you don't like it, let me know how to improve. And uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Here comes number 42 of Bo Knows Stuff. All right, guys. We are live with Lee Povey of uh, Maximize Your Potential Coaching, MYP. I kind of hadn't seen that writing. So looks like MVP, most valuable player, but uh, yeah, it is MYP. Um, so Maximizing Your Potential Coaching. He has his own podcast. Uh, I'm not going to read his accolades on this because I should have a intro when we when we do air this on the podcast because he has a very long and extensively tenured and impressive resume. I'll read that in that. But uh, we want to hear about what's going on with you, uh, with Maximize Your Potential. Lee, tell us what's going on. So, yeah, I launched it, um, when was it? About August last year with uh, Ryan Owens, GB track cyclist, um, who will be going to the Olympics in G Tokyo. GB and being Great Britain. Great, yeah, great. He's on the Great Britain team. Um, he will be riding the team sprint at the Olympics in Tokyo in, was that four or five months' time now? They just announced today, I don't know if you saw this, that uh, today being March 22nd, that uh, they are not allowing international spectators. Yeah, I've known that for a week or so. I'm gutted because oh, okay. uh, uh, one of my close friends is the coach of the Dutch team. Uh, and, you know, Ryan is one of my best mates. And uh, I wanted to go and watch both of them at the Olympics and in their element. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to go now. So that's a little yeah. bit of a shame. Well, it's a good thing they're at least having it finally after – you know, some signs of positive, positive yeah, I, I think it's it's fairly likely it's going to go ahead now. So, yeah, I'm super mm -hmm. excited for them. Like, it's, yeah. there's nothing worse than, than training four years for something and then missing the opportunity. And people were devastated. Last yeah, some year. people training eight, 12 years, right? You go through those, you know, uh, Olympic cycle blocks and you have everything periodized. I mean, I know some of these athletes that literally, if they started today, they would know what their training is going to be on March 22nd of... 2031 um because they have everything laid out exactly as it needs to be so I've seen I, I um if i'd continued working in my previous role with usa cycling i had my training blocks laid out until paris already 
yeah so an idea of what they would have been doing idea of the races that they would have been doing so Mm. yeah i I like to work that kind of far ahead as well and and you're not working like you know i wouldn't say exactly what we're going to do that session because new information might become available that would change it but for sure a good idea of what the program would look like yeah 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 uh the one i I saw was uh it was a cuban weight olympic weightlifting program and they had those kind of situations laid out where i don't think much of the science is changing on on what you know they believe in and and uh yeah so their periodization blocks were were again pretty pretty well laid out and they know they're going you know 83 percent for four sets of three or whatever (laughs) you know again 11 years from now Um, (laughs) so it's it's, yeah yeah i weightlifting olympic weightlifting is like my guilty pleasure I've got mm. far too much of that suggestions on my YouTube. I, I love watching people with really good intake. I'll send you some some of my snatches that I do. They're good. They're good. <laughs> they're good. I don't lift as much as uh, you know some people, but they're very smooth and pretty. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I my favorite is Lasher, so I'm just going to compare you to Lasher. So if you can't do a 225 mm. kilo snatch. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> um, but I can drop it on my head. I have a few videos that are not great of those. <laughs> Nails. I have two two of those videos somewhere on my phone that uh, just when certain people want to see it, uh, and I walked away from both of them unscathed, luckily, knock on Good. wood, um, but they look very scary. Uh, and I will say again for anyone out there watching, uh, Olympic weightlifting has one of the lowest injury rates of any sport in the history of all sports that has been researched. Um, the only injuries that tend to happen in Olympic weightlifting uh, are accidents where you're dropping like a 25 kilo plate on your toe or something, um, that kind of thing. So anyway, coming back to maximizing your potential coaching, uh, we got a little off topic there. But yeah, so you have the coaching company. Um, bring us back to, to what it is you guys offer. Uh, so a variety of things, but it basically comes down to human behavior performance coaching. So what we want to do is allow you and enable you to be the best version of yourself possible. So to remove the limiters that are getting in your way of you, you know, interacting in the world in the way that you want to, to give you some emotional and mental models that help you understand the world to a greater degree, and most importantly, yourself and how you are in the world. And probably the most important part of that is distinguishing the world happening to you and by you. So to you is when you're that victim and you're, you know, the world is happening to you and you're responding to to everything the world's throwing at you. And by you is when you are making the choices and when you're in control of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, Reminds me of uh, common language that gets used of, you know, I have to go pick up my kid from. Uh, you know, soccer practice or whatever versus I get to and or yes. this is what's happening. It's not yes. I have to do this. What a burden it is on me. And it, literally that language is very powerful. So, yeah, just changing. And it, it, it's very easy to slip into those things. And again, when I sometimes will correct people as uh, grammar and I only do that with certain people that I trust. And, you know, I feel like I can I can do when they get their your and your you are versus possessive your. Yeah. Um, I'm only going to do that if, you know. I care a little bit, but, uh, but I'm like, how you do anything is how you do everything. And, and in some capacity. Um, and so when you don't care about little, little details like that, you know, what, what does it say about your training? What does it say about, you know, the, the, that higher level? And can we be, 
elevating your performance and, and optimizing some of that stuff. So very cool. Um, totally in line with. I, I, I love that you brought up language. Language mm. is, is one of my favorite topics. Um, I think many of us miss misunderstand, I don't know if that's the right term, or just don't quite get how powerful the language we use is on our own emotional being and the yeah. being of everybody else around us. And as you say, that was a great, I love the example that you used there. What a great example. I get to go and pick my kids up from school or I have to go and pick my kids up from school. The task is the same. The task doesn't care how you view it, but your viewing of it is going to have a dramatic impact on how you enjoy the task mm -hmm. and how everybody else enjoys it. You know, if you mm -hmm. go there, you're stressed. Oh, I've got to pick you, you know, your little rascals up. Oh, you're ruining <laughs> my day. Rather than, oh, I can't wait to see the kids. How right. was their day? You know, the difference is huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that mindset piece and that and the language. Yeah, it's just uh, and and taking the time to um, you know change change some of that stuff. Again, a guy I follow, Ben Bergeron, big in the CrossFit space. He has a great podcast called Chasing Excellence. He had a no complaint uh, month, you know, because we all kind of do these little complaints. So he just yeah, yeah. Ch challenged himself and his family, I think, to not complain for whatever it was, the course of a full month. Um, and it's Did challenging. Uh, I think there was some, you know, whatever making it means. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I think they had like one of the, you know, wristbands that you snap, like the rubber band. Um, oh, that wow. Every time you complain, you do that or. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're a very athletic family. So my, perhaps the other uh, punishment was something like every time you get caught complaining, you got to do whatever it is, 20 burpees or something like that. So, um, but yeah, I, th I think the point being that again, in terms of mindset and changing that culture around what it is you want to create. And we don't take a lot of time. Uh, and you, you kind of said that we don't, it, it's underutilized or overlooked. I think the language of it all. Um, and it's such simple stuff and very few people provide the framework to say, oh, okay, instead of have to, I, I should say get to. And again, like things like gratitude, that's become much more popular. Um, just ha having that as you start, like, okay, I'm starting our day. Like, I'm grateful that I get to go and pick up my kid from soccer yeah. practice. I'm grateful I have a car. I'm grateful I have a kid. I'm yes. grateful yeah. for all these different aspects of it that changes again uh, and, and moves away from just that little bits of negativity that, you know, t is, is just these drains on our energy, on our interactions. So in terms of, again, getting better and tweaking that dial little by little, I always say on my social medias, get 1% better every day. So it's it's identifying what can we do to, again, make those little changes and, and move in the right direction. And uh, whether it's somebody identifying, hey, like, did you notice you said that? Um, and, <laughs> and changing and, and, you know, whatever that conversation becomes. And again, it's hard. I, to have, um, yeah. I often have that with the guy. So on our men's group, that's something I'll, I'll challenge. If somebody uses the word, but for example, I'll mm. challenge them to replace it with and, mm. but has the tendency as the listener to negate what was said before it. Mm -hmm. So if we say, you know, I had a really lovely today, uh, day today but this happened. Right. Now you're saying you didn't have a lovely day today right. and you're just going to talk about the complaint. Well, that's, um, so <laughs> that's you up. can have a lovely day and talk about something that wasn't good as part of the day. And then you would say, and this happened rather right. than, but so yeah, language, language choices are really powerful. Right. And something, uh, you know, my wife, uh, she's actually the one that connected us and she, I think mm. she might be listening in the other room. Um, but we always kind of joke about, um, Similar concept. Uh, I had a tendency that I'm still trying to work on. I'm a, I'm a New Yorker, if you guys don't know, um, of, of kind of, you know, 
being very blunt, and I'll try to preface things by kind of saying, uh, the joke is pretty much being like, no offense, but, you're, <laughs> but you know, whatever. But you know, it's it's yeah, it's I don't know how well I'm trying to, and it's or or the other one in 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 coaching uh, that I in previously coaching, you know, uh, group fitness classes and and things like that. We joke about a compliment sandwich. Um, yeah. of saying like, Hey, your hair looks really nice today, Lee. I love those glasses. Um, your squat looks like trash today. Um, but, but again, really nice shoes you have good, on Good at being you. Yeah. yeah. So you put the, you put the insult or criticism in the middle there. So yeah. Are we, allowed, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? I, I have no problem. I'm, I, yeah. Okay. Go for it. So in the UK, that's called the shit sandwich. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned the men's group. I, de- I did want to jump over to that. So is that part hmm. of the MYP coaching? Um, yes. And yeah, I'm so excited. The MYP brand for sure. And I'm excited. I'm going to announce it here. Uh, tomorrow, Lee got me to sign up for the first, uh, my first men's group with him. I have done a few different men's groups um, in the past. And so um, I'm excited. So, but I want to, I want to hear, I have a little bit of expectations having gone to some different ones. But I uh, tell us a little bit about uh, if somebody's listening, or they have, uh, or they have somebody in their life that they think could benefit from it. What are the benefits of a men's group? I guess the the overriding uh, joke would be, you know, oh, it's really tough being a, a white male in 2021. Um, versus, there's actually stuff that we, you know, that does get ignored, and if we can deal with it better, we can be better allies for. You know, again, all these different movements of, of Black Lives Matter and and uh, stopping Asian crimes and things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, hate crimes and things like that. And just being better allies and the better we can be and better ourselves. I think that, uh, uh, you know, my hope is is in, in seeking out a group like this, um, finding better ways to to, you know, strengthen the insides. Uh, and so, yeah, talk, tell us a little about um, what I can expect. Yeah, so I'll just kind of address the, the the privilege thing is really interesting. So I like that you brought that up. Um, people can mistake that just because you you have privilege because you're a middle aged you know or you're a you know middle class white guy living in California like myself, like I have a certain privilege because of that. That doesn't mean that I can't go through suffering as well. It doesn't mean that life can't be challenging for me. And actually, uh, you know, middle aged white guys is the second fastest area of suicide or growing area of suicide in America and the UK at the moment with teenage girls being the other and teenage girls is down to internet bullying and you know the middle class white guy is because they think they're successful so they have you know they have a nice car they have a nice house they probably are getting divorced from their first wife They've lost the relationship with their children because they don't know how to relate and they've been so focused on work, uh, on work and suddenly they're just really lonely. Mm-hmm. So so privilege doesn't mean you can't suffer. Right. And it means it's, it's less likely we will, but it doesn't mean you can't. And the group isn't necessarily about suffering. The group is about, the first thing is coming to it to be a better version of you. So can you be a better version of you as a man? Can you be a better father? Can you be a better leader? Can you be a better husband? Can you be a better friend? So that's the ethos that men come to this group with. And then the other thing is there's a certain uh, magic, for want of a better word, of getting in the space of guys and you being able to share what's going on for you and being heard. Now, you know, guys like me and you, very sporty, 
I've been around men on sports fields playing rugby and in track cycling, you know, most of my life. It's not the same experience. You know, you will get told that you're a pussy and that, you know, we're not here to hear your problems. Like right. we're here to play the game. And, you know, like it, it's it's not intentional. Guys aren't doing that intentionally. They just don't have the language. And, and mm -hmm. there's this societal pressure of like, we just don't do that. Right. So, you know, what we do. Feelings are uncomfortable. Exactly. Feelings are uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and I'm great. And I'm really glad you brought up feelings because that's a really important thing. So we remove that kind of uncomfortableness about feelings by just acknowledging that feelings are tools. Mm -hmm. So the reason we have feelings is to give us information around the world. So we work on four major feelings. So that's joy, sadness, anger, and fear. And we try to boil down what is happening to us to one of these feelings. And when what is that feeling telling us about the world around us? What information is it giving us? And there's no good or bad feelings. Like anger is a useful feeling. Anger gets stuff done. Anger tells us about the world. Fear is a useful feeling. You know, fear is to say, hey, I need to think about this. I need to be concerned about this. There's something I need to plan for. And if we ignore these feelings, this is when men get sick. So if men completely ignore feelings, that disconnect between body and mind, that's when they start getting cancer, heart attacks, yeah. you know, and we don't want that. I don't want guys to suffer through that. I want guys to be fully connected from brain to body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you get that theory from uh, the Pixar Inside Out movie about the the, the four different... Uh... I did not. No, I've been doing that. I've been doing that for quite some time before that, but my wife loved that movie. Like, loved that movie. I think it was a great uh, <laughs> encapsulation of, yeah, like you're saying, how, how, how do we deal with these different emotions and, and uh, what, are, what is their place also in the grand scheme yeah. of, and again, they all have a place. I always say anger is a wasted emotion. Um, again, having dealt with my own, whatever anger issues over my, the course of my life. And I'm always like, I'm, I'm, I'm very quick to let most stuff go because especially when it riles me up and I'm like, you know what? Like it serves me no purpose to be angry about that because being angry it's it's you know the the cliche saying is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies pretty much um and so ang anger is just something you know again understanding the physiology behind it as well like sometimes it's nice to, to scream and be you know primal if you will and let it out um but um you know it's it's something that again um th it has its place uh, and that's something, again, my wife and I have discussed, Maha, um, of, you know, what is the place of, of anger and, and should we acknowledge it, diminish it? And so to the point of emotions and things like that, again, this is where uh, I guess the, the problem that we're talking about here of men uh, not having safe spaces for this or just spaces where, again, you know, as much as they might love their partner and feel comfortable with their partner, there might be a feeling of uh, a it's difficult to be vulnerable as, as just the way our cultures raise us uh, as men. So I don't know a lot of men who are very vulnerable, um, you know, out, out and about. And then the other part of it being authentic of, you know, yeah, there's the, the machismo, the bravado uh, that, that tends to be the, the primary way of communicating like you're talking about in those sporting circles. Um, but yeah, it's hard to go past that and, and get to a point of being vulnerable, authentic and having more of those real conversations of like, Hey, what should I do with this situation? And, uh, you know, like, can we talk about it or do you just have to go and, and pay somebody and, and see a, a, sh a shrink, a therapist, or, you know, can we find different resources like these men's groups that might be just another way to, again, 
I'll keep bringing up Maha because she is listening. Um, but uh, that we always talk about. My wife, my wife. <laughs> Hi, honey. <laughs> um, I have my ring on. Look, I have my ring on. Um, but, but, but something that we always talk about, of, of if we can prevent a lot of these little things that build up, and we know because we've seen usually in our professions as a physical therapist, as a sex and relationship therapist, we end up usually getting people who've had stuff going on for 10 years. Right. Yeah. And it's and, and, you know, it's up to us to kind of figure out and, and unwind some of that and, and start to undo some of the damage versus, again, if today you're listening to this, whoever you are out there um, and, and you're like, yeah, these little things have been bugging me about my partner, about my life. Um, the sooner you can address it, write it down, take ownership of it, whatever that language that you want is, is to me, it's that's where uh, you will help avoid. Not everything's going to turn into. A significant issue down the line but can i can i stop you there bro because i want to go back to something you said at the beginning which you just tied to nicely here so i want to make a distinction um there's a distinction between anger and rage and i think men often confuse the two and they think if they're going to get angry they're going to get into a rage and it's going to be uncontrollable or the same with sadness like it's i'm going to be unbelievably sad and it's going to be depression if i feel it and actually, emotions are pretty fleeting. If we feel an emotion properly, it, we should process it in a matter of seconds, if not minutes, that, um, that initial feeling of that. And then what we're trying to do is we're trying to use a model from the conscious leadership group, which is to go from below the line. So the below the line is your initial um, response to a situation which can be quite emotive and can be quite sometimes destructive, and then go above the line. And it's moving through the emotion. But if you don't recognize the emotion and move through it, you can't get to the above the line. And this is why guys stay in anger. This is why guys are afraid of it because they stay in it. And there's this well of it that they're worried about touching. Whereas if they'd been allowed to process it like little children do. So if you watch children, they're great at processing their emotions. Until we train it out of them, little boys and little girls don't treat emotions differently. They cry, they laugh, they get scared, they get sad, they get angry, all the same. And then we treat them differently. So we treat girls differently to boys. Mm -hmm. And we tell little girls, oh, it's okay for you to cry, honey. And we tell the boys, toughen up, sunshine, like get over it. You know, or the, the, the little boy's afraid and we say, no, you gotta be a man. That's what being a man is, we don't mm -hmm. share fear. And what we're trying to do is undo that so that you can go through these emotional experiences. So that in, a, in a healthy way, in a healthy way. So you're not hanging on to this stuff for years and years and years. You know, that's that's when you become depressive. That's when you're the angry guy that drinks, mm -hmm. you know, because he's trying to medicate his anger. Mm -hmm. um, if you were allowed to go through that in a healthy way as a as an adolescent and as a teenager and as a young man, you wouldn't be like that. And you know, one of the things I want to do is to help society realize it's okay for men to share their feelings in conversation. Say, you know what? Actually, when you said that, I felt some anger and I want to share that with you. Mm -hmm. That's being angry. It's not, I'm going to punch you in the face, mate, because of what you said. You know, that's that's the unhealthy version of that. So, you know, we can we can present anger, we can present fear, we can present joy and sadness. I mean, it's amazing how often men struggle with joy. Like if it's a sporting occasion, we can go nuts and we can cry with our mates and have beers. But, you know, if we look at a flower and go, oh, that's really beautiful, your mate's going to go, you know, the homophobic slurs are going to start, you know, don't be gay. Like, you know, why do you like flowers? I love flowers. What's wrong with loving flowers? So it's just allowing that space for, for you to be how you want to be as a man in the world.
And I would be remiss as so much of my education is on the physical side if I didn't double down on the fact that when you bring up children and how they are emotionally and we should look at them for A, the fact that there is this authentic uh, expression of emotions, the same with the physical capacity yeah. of hanging, uh, sitting in the bottom of a squat, all these you know, yeah. kids have the most beautiful movements until yeah. they're forced to sit in a desk for <laughs> you know, however many years. Um, and, and we, again, we put shoes on them um, and these things that we end up, you know, by the time you're a teenager, by the time you're an adult in, in, a, in a desk job, um, your physical capacity has become so limited. And when was the last time you rolled on the ground? When was the last time you climbed a tree? Um, all these things that now, again, in the last almost 10 years, I would say with the CrossFit and functional fitness, um, you know, you see people walking on their hands and jumping rope and all these things that we used to do as kids. And now it's being marketed as this like revolutionary fitness trend, but it really is a lot of, um, Hey, let's be, let's look at where we were when we started life <laughs> and come back to that. Those are things we should all be able to do. We should be able to pop into a squat with our feet together. Um, and, and that should not cause any issues. Uh, and if it does, let's get you back there. Like, you know, if, if you haven't done anything like that for the last 20, 30 years, let's find a way to get you back there. So that's where I, I did want to just, you know, throw in my little, uh, yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> there was a, um, there was a national, um, I won't say which one, there was a national cycling team, track cycling team, um, that was having lots of back issues mm. and they started to hang yeah. in every gym session and noticed, uh, you know, based on some good research, but noticed a dramatic difference in their back health when they were spending mm. more time hanging. Yeah, we're yeah. designed to, aren't we? That's what we're designed yeah. to do. And, and we move away from that. And kids are such great teachers. If you really watch children, they're teaching what we should be doing as adults that we train ourselves out of because it's not doesn't fit society. You know, to go back to the emotions, you watch kids go through an emotion and they can be like right in the midst of screaming and then bang, they're smiling. Like they move through it so quickly. Yeah. And we stop ourselves, unfortunately, as adults, especially men. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is so many taboos, movies, pop culture, rap songs, yeah. whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, all these different aspects of… of the, the conditioning is so strong, the image that we're presented yeah. from media, from, you know, even women. You know, I, I like the fact that you brought up, you know, I, I know your wife, she's lovely. I'm, sh I'm sure she's very encouraging for you in your growth and very supportive. So is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know it's even it's even hard because women have a version of a man they believe that they should right. you know be attracted to and they want to see this mm -hmm. stoic strong guy and then women can find it difficult to hold that space for you because it, it, their program is like hang on you're not meant to behave like that hang on this is uncomfortable for me yeah yeah it's something um and i've i don't know if you've read the the way of the superior man have you read that one david dita yeah yeah, yeah, stuff like that where it's just exploring, uh, for those not familiar, exploring the masculine and feminine energies where we all have a certain amount of masculine and a certain amount of feminine. However, we talk about that. Again, these are all topics that are very interesting with, uh, again, these different uh, conversations happening now between trans and, and just the LGBTQIA plus now. I don't want to miss any letters, uh, but it, it, it's just there's a lot going on. <laughs> we, we're all trying to make sense of where we all fit in. And again, that's where uh, I'm, I'm excited for this, this group to, to bring it back to that of, um, yeah, figuring out, you know, what a, for myself, uh, yeah. How, do, how, how, and again, I feel, this is one thing I haven't, um, done a men's group in a while, um, where again, I 
I'm maybe it's, it is again, that, that, uh, masculine, um, <laughs> uh, cockiness, if you will, of, of saying like, I, I got myself pretty figured out. I mean, uh, again, like I've studied psychology, sociology since high school. Uh, you know, I, uh, we had majors in high school and I was like, okay, this, a lot of this makes sense. You know, um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, again, I, I had a really good understanding of it. Uh, you know, but there's always more you can do. So it's, it's something where a, I'm excited to, to further explore that, but also be, um, allow it to be a resource for other men that I know there's a lot of other men. Um, and just as an example, like we started, we had, uh, I played high school American football. Um, and we had, a, uh, one of our teammates who was two years older than me. We just found out a few at this point months ago that he had committed suicide, uh, two years ago and nobody really knew cause everyone kind of lost touch mm. with him. Um, and so as a response to that and something that I think a lot of us knew we should have been kind of doing is we started a, uh, Brooklyn Tech football uh, group Zoom call once a month. We actually have it later this week. Um, and yeah, we just get on there and everyone can kind of, it's, it's a lot more uh, bullshitting. Um, you know, almost everyone, you know, is around. But that's uh, that's okay. Like connection yeah. is connection. And and to, yeah. to, to reference that book, um, there's, a, there's a passage in the book where he talks about how women define their life by the connections they make and men mm -hmm. define them by what they achieve. Mm. And yeah, that's that's to do with the masculine and the feminine energy. Um, but we forget that men need connection as well. Like mm. men need a lot of connection, and we minimize it. We minimize right. it for ourselves, and we minimize it societally. Mm. And there's only certain ways men are allowed to connect. So we're allowed to go out and have mm. beers, and we're allowed to chase women together, and we're allowed to do sports together. But that's about what where you'll see men connect in society. And we need much more connection than that. And yeah. loneliness is a huge killer for men. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the study. So the Nagowski sisters uh, mention it on their book, Burnout, which is an awesome book. Mm. Um, but they talk about like not being with somebody. It takes something like 10 years off your life. I, so, I, heard, I heard a, and it was actually on the, mm. I mentioned Ben Bergeron. I heard it on his podcast. Yeah. So I don't know where the citation is coming from, but I actually remember on a recent episode, they mentioned a very similar statistic that every day of loneliness, uh, and I'm assuming this uh, multiplies and, and expands kind of compounding interest, if you will, as, as it goes, but is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. Something yeah, that like was, that. that. In was, terms that of the effects on your physiology. Survey, yeah. 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 That was the one. Um, which is incredible to think about, isn't it? You know, like the way that we now treat smoking in society and, and we know how dangerous it is, mm -hmm. we don't treat loneliness in the same way. We don't right. spend a lot of money trying to stop loneliness. Um, you know, I, I know what it's like to experience loneliness. I moved to a new country where I didn't know anybody. Lonely to begin with. You know, I came here, I coached two guys when I moved here. And I was desperate for a men's group and couldn't find one at the time. That would have been a really powerful time for me to find one to join because I'd been in men's groups in the UK. So again, you know, guys coming to my groups are coming from all walks of life. They're business leaders, they're teachers, they're athletes, they're coaches, and they're coming to find connection with other men, number one. And then they're coming to explore what it means to be a man. And, and you know, without the bullshit, it's just straightforward this is how we want to be men in the world. And everybody gets an input in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Again, looking forward. I'll, I'll report in uh, to everyone listening how my first one <laughs> tomorrow goes in less, less than 24 hours. We're counting down the, the time, but um, let's jump over to the other topic we wanted to really cover, mm. which is the 
kind of confirmation bias dogma. Um, and I mean, there's some tie-ins to this, you know, these concepts around uh, these, sure. these uh, behaviors and like you're saying, too overly developed, um, if you will, uh, concepts. So yeah, tell, uh, you know, I, I, uh, for those, I, I think I shouted it out is, is MYP has their own uh, podcast, Maximize Your Potential. And they did a, a episode recently. It was a, it was a quickie, I think only 13 minutes long on confirmation bias. But yeah, let's touch on that. We had, uh, you and I had touched on that on some of our calls uh, previously. So uh, I think it's a super interesting topic. Love to hear, again, share with the listeners here. Thank you, Mike. I, one of the one of the, the the kind of, I don't know the right way to put it, I'd say triggers, I'm not sure it's triggers. One of the things I struggle with in life is we assume that because somebody's good at a sport, they're going to be a good coach. Uh. Or we assume that because somebody is good at something, they're going to be a good teacher. And those things are very different. The skills to be good at something are very different from the skills to teach that to somebody right. else. And what tends to happen with that is then we repeat when we're that person what was successful for us. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's one of the things that holds sports people back so much is – the coach wants to do the training that the coach did themselves. Yeah. So if they were a successful athlete, they're like, well, this worked for me. Michael and Jordan has moved was on. not a very good coach. No. <laughs> and, and, and often the people who are the most successful are, are successful because they're good at being very single-mindedly focused and they're very selfish and they can put everything outside away and just concentrate on themselves. Mm-hmm. Being a coach is the absolute opposite of that. You cannot be selfish. You are there for everybody else. It can't be about your success. It's about the team success and your athlete success. And then the other thing is something that Brene Brown and Simon Simiak talk about a lot, which is this vulnerability in leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a lot of athletes, workers, office workers come to me and say the hardest thing for them is when they approach something with their boss, their boss hasn't got it right, they've messed it up, and they don't own it. Mm. And that's where that lack of trust comes in, and that's where that's what right. people find really stressful. So that's what we tend to work on with people a lot is to be vulnerable. Now, to be vulnerable means that you're not always going to be right. And that means looking at your confirmation bias. So the confirmation bias is our inherent tendency to make emotional choices and then try to back those choices up with facts. You know, we see it all the time in the political sphere where people say, well, you know, this is what I believe. And then you try to have a discussion and there's no real evidence behind the discussion. It's been made emotionally. Um, There's a uh, an eminent uh, psychologist uh, stroke uh, statistician called Daniel Kahneman, who's done a ton of work on this. And his favorite saying is we think that 80% of our choices are made rationally and 20% emotionally. For the most rational people, 80% of their choices are made emotionally and 20% are made rationally. Mm -hmm. We feel things and then we don't look for the evidence to back them up or we don't look at all of the evidence. We just look for the evidence that supports us. Mm -hmm. And in today's age, that's getting more and more difficult for us to do because (laughs) if we go to Google, you know, Google is going to find articles that match the articles that we were looking at in the past. So it just keeps that confirmation bias going. Now, as coaches and leaders, it's really important that we can rise above that and we can ask ourselves, how could I be wrong? Not how could I be right? right. How could I be wrong? How can I challenge my preconceived views? Is there a way that this could be wrong? And if so, that's how I test what I'm doing. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the scientific method, right? You're supposed to start yeah. with a null hypothesis. You're supposed to say, you're not supposed to say, I want to prove that taking creatine is going to improve my performance. You say, yeah. I want to prove that creatine will not improve my performance. And then you yes. do the experiment. And if you're, if you're proven wrong, then you're actually like, okay, well, shows that creatine does improve performance um, and has all these other effects or whatever. So, but that's the scientific method that, again, I think when we talk about, and again, I, I have so many different emotional responses about the the political side of things that we can certainly talk about. And I'm trying to, I'm trying really hard to not bring up specific examples that <laughs> particularly trigger me. But uh, in terms of making examples and, and like driving this point home again, I think it's just a lack of. And again, I'll, I'll blame America, and and but I think it's it's worldwide. It's it's a lack of understanding of the scientific method, um, and and you know when we talk about uh, and and again, not to get, I'm sure if people are listening to this part. They're I'm, I'm, I might regret saying this next part, but I think a lot of it is is um, religion is not a bad thing per se, but I think that it's gotten to a point where again in this day and age um, where science is no longer like this high level of thinking and something like religion says you believe in your faith. It's faith. So if you believe in uh, that vaccines don't work or vaccines cause five, five G causes code, whatever crazy conspiracy theory, QAnon, whatever um, I'll say all the keywords. So I get flagged, but, uh, but the point is if, if again, you, you find, you know, and again, it's, it's a lot of this stuff uh, without going too far down the rabbit hole of, QAnon, let's say, um, is a lot of it is, you know, when you when you hear social scientists talk about these concepts, it's people who are looking for some kind of purpose um, in, in their daily lives. And they find it on these chat groups and they're saying, oh, yeah, like, let's protect children. That sounds like a very important thing. Oh, Tom Hanks is eating children. Sure. Like, I don't know that that's not true. So I'm going to believe that. And at the same time, like, I'm going to put my energy and time and thought into that. And it becomes a slippery slope. And I'm going on a very extreme example, but uh, it's definitely something I'm very passionate about, uh, figuring out a way to, to improve scientific literacy. So again, when people, you know, uh, I, I worked in home health care and physical therapy for a while, and a lot of people um, who are very religious, uh, you know, a lot of um, Jehovah's Witnesses would, would certainly start speaking with me about, you know, their their faith. And again, I was very respectful as a professional. And uh, but I say I, I believe in science. I'm just not a religious person. And and, you know, they would try to engage in with me on the fact that, you know, all these different aspects of it. I'm like, OK, well, I'm, I'm very happy that you found that for you. Um, but, yeah, here's where I stand with it. So anyway. I'm sorry, I went on a little bit of my tangent there, but um, but That's yeah, all right. I, I I I enjoyed your rant. <laughs> I, I think it's just an undermining of expertise. Yeah. Um, and the issue that we have is it's so easy now to confirm your bias to go yeah. on Google and find one person that believes in what you believe in, e.g., right. the flat Earth movement. So that grew exponentially in popularity right. because a guy put out a video that was that made people want to believe and be part of that. Cause it, again, mm-hmm. it goes back to that community. So to tie it yeah. back, why do I do the work I do? Why do I do men's groups? Because I want to provide healthy community, not toxic community. Mm-hmm. And you know, our confirmation bias, our, our, our need to make decisions emotionally and then confirm that decision goes back to being part of groups. If you look at things, they can become very tribal. You know, you have anti-vaxxers, they're a group. Mm-hmm. They want to identify like that. And they'll tell you things like, well, I'm just asking the questions. And it's like, yeah, great. 
there's a ton of information that answers that question for you. Like, yeah. do you actually want to look at that? And it can be very difficult to engage in a conversation. You know, as a as a sports coach, as an emotional coach, I engage in these conversations all the time with people. Where you're like, where did that idea come from? Right. And often they can't answer it because they haven't thought their way into it. So the other thing is, you can't argue somebody out of a position they haven't thought their way into. Yeah. If, if it's an emotional one, you have to connect with them on an emotional level, not on a cognitive level, because they haven't made a decision about that viewpoint. They just decided it. Like immigrants are coming into the country. Mm. We're all going to lose our jobs. OK, right. the data doesn't really support that in the same way that actually when we have immigration, the, we create more wealth and more jobs. Um, but people well, aren't. They you're don't wanna, you're they don't only saying that because you're an immigrant. I'm, I'm an immigrant too. It's fine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah, they might um, not let me be a citizen. I've applied. I'm, I'm, I, I should be one already, but due to COVID, that process has slowed down massively. It usually takes six months, and it's been over a year now. Yeah, um, but so, so it's just if we really want to be a good leader and we really want to be a good sports coach, we really want to be a good teacher, it's so important for us to know where our confirmation bias is. What are the things that we're holding on to emotionally that could be proven wrong with facts? Mm -hmm. And the more open we are to looking at that, the more successful we will be uh, because we're going to engage others and, and empower them and ask them to be part of the process because we don't have to have all the answers and there's a real strength in that as a leader and then we're not going to be left behind by more innovative people uh, and you see that you know the great example is the blockbusters versus netflix so blockbusters decided that they that they had an opportunity to get into online video sharing and they said no it's not going to work and we're going to stick with what we know and, you know, they went from being this massive business to being bankrupt in like a year, it, it, you know, and you see that all the time where people cannot change with the times. And the reason they can't change with the times is usually because of confirmation bias. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's scary uh, as as someone. And at the end of the day, again, this is where I think we have to come back to ourselves and it, it becomes overwhelming uh, to try to solve this grand problem of something like a QAnon or this racism that goes on where, again, I've, I've had conversations with people that I didn't realize were as racist as it turns out they are. Um, and then, you know, you have a conversation about some of this stuff and you're like, oh, like, I did not know you believe that, but now that, thank you for revealing yourself to, to be that. And now I have that information and I can do with that what I will. And I'm probably never going to speak with you again or, you know, something. Last, uh, the last five years of, um, uh, yeah, have definitely changed some friendships, haven't they? Uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and one of the sad things of social media is it's, you know, people have become. So there was a study done recently that showed you can track pretty closely the widening of the political divide in this country mm. with the invention of the like button on <laughs> Facebook and Twitter. And the psychology behind it is when people are trying to get likes, they will become more controversial. Mm. They'll become more polarized. Yeah. They will become more polarizing because when they do that, they get more likes. Mm -hmm. So 
subconsciously, we're getting this feedback loop of, oh, that post I put up had more likes. I'm going to lean more in that direction. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, with the advent of social media, people have that platform to do it. So mm -hmm. they're putting up more controversial posts. Right. They're getting more likes. It, they might not even necessarily fully believe what they're saying, but they're liking the strokes. Yeah. So we all want strokes. We all want to be liked. We all want appreciation. And if we're getting that on social media, we can be tempted to exaggerate our positions. And then now suddenly we're creating this big polarity that just wasn't there before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. To, and so there's no, there's no space for nuance basically is the other frustrating thing. And so, yeah. Uh, again, I think that the last year, especially leading up to the U.S. election, got very just more and more oiling hot. Everything got much more intense. Um, I do think and I feel that at least it's been everything's calmed down a little bit on the day to day, maybe, of you know, uh, at least. Uh, and I, again, I tried really hard to not take in too much because it can get really overwhelming. But the nuance is one of my biggest takeaways from the last year of again interacting with other people is if you're not willing to have a nuanced conversation and this is why i actually really almost doubled down on doing this podcast and, and started doing a lot more episodes especially going into 2021 here of um i just really enjoy these long form conversations you know to i enjoyed listening to the joe rogan's not every episode uh, that he's done not everything that he says do i agree with but uh you know just that long form conversation uh is a really cool way to explore these topics um, so, and, and I do think that, is and you have to be, you know, we have to be open, you know, mm -hmm. like as two people, we're coming with our own dogma, with our own, uh, confirmation bias, our own perceived views, our own view of the world. And we have to be open to be changed. So I used to be very dogmatic, like this is it. I'm right. You're wrong. Every conversation is a, is a, is an argument to win. And I'm working so hard on dropping that now. And my view is, how curious can I be? What can I learn? What can I learn from this conversation? What are my ideas can be challenged? And by being curious, it takes the will to win away. You're mm -hmm. not trying to win. You're trying to find the truth, which is different from winning. And we can find that truth together rather than I'm trying to make you look stupid or I'm trying to make myself feel better by winning an argument. Mm. That's one of the... Um... That's a really fun, fun thing you said that because uh, that's one of the like personality testing questions that I like to actually really, I think tells me a lot and worth exploring when I talk with clients and when we are talking a little bit more about this kind of mindset of it is, would you rather win or be right? Which is it, Lee? Would you rather win or be right? It was, I would rather be right. Now I'd rather win. Really? That's interesting. It depends on it depends on the circumstance, um, and depends on what's at stake. Mm. Um, like be right, as in be morally right. I would choose morally right over winning. If it's can I put my own ego aside to say you know help a business owner win, then I would rather put my ego aside to help the business owner win. So yeah. depending what you mean by winning. It's it's an interesting thing, too, because it becomes a little bit of a Rorschach test, if you will, of how do people interpret it, because um, it's an interesting. And that's where I definitely like to, again, have that nuance follow up, because if you just answer it on the face of it, I'm going to interpret that as something possibly different than what you're just saying. To me, uh, it means a little bit more of so if you'd if you'd rather win, then you're OK being wrong and you're just going to muscle through and and just push your agenda on, and confirmation bias through. So that's where, to me, this, that's the that's the simplistic way I look at the question. 
is if you say you'd rather win, that tells me you're okay with being wrong. So, and, and you're not okay with losing. So that's, what's more important to you is would you rather win or lose or like, which, which is more painful for you. Right. Um, and, and so again, and that's where the moral side of it too is, uh, I say I would rather be right, even if I end up losing. And again, like with the political stuff, you know, I feel like I'm on the right side of a lot of these debates that are going on. Uh, and it's not, I don't care if I don't win in that interaction with that person who's saying, uh, you know, oh, my white uncle got harassed by the police too. And I'm like, okay, like that mean doesn't mean there's no systemic racism against black people. Like it, it's not how that, that's not math. Like, but again, I'm not going to work on convincing that person in that situation. So the win versus be right thing. The other interesting, uh, I'm sure. So you how know, could oh, you, so here's, here's my challenge to you. Like, how could you see that differently? What could be the common ground? How can you, you know, what's, what's being right in that? Is it, holding on to your view or is it helping them um come to a different viewpoint like you know how could you share with that person that yes it's entirely possible that your uh, uncle suffered from right. you know police brutality you know unfairness whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it does that minimize the fact that somebody who's black is more likely to suffer that no it doesn't that right. both those well, things can be true at the same time. So what's the right? Right. Uh, yeah. Again, in my experience in those conversations, it's just too much to overcome. Like you're saying that yeah. uh, you see, I think you, I forgot exactly how you said it earlier, but that if, if they didn't uh, fight to get, if you to, haven't thought your way into a position, it's very difficult to think your way out of it or to be argued out of it. And right. so then you've got to apply to the emotion there. And, you know, the emotion is I get that that must've been really horrible for your uncle. I, I hear that. Right. And I, and I understand that maybe you're afraid of that happening to you what would it be like for you to imagine what a black person is going through in that same circumstance? Right. right. That would be appealing to the emotion there rather than just saying, you know, you're wrong. You know, the, the studies show us and the facts show us that you're just wrong and you can't right. listen to me. Statistics and, show and that. it's hard. Yeah. And it's really hard. Um, I think I'm pretty skilled at this stuff and it's still very hard to have conversations with people that have such diametric, you know, metrically opposed views to you in a yeah. nuanced way. Yeah. And they're very deeply rooted views that, again, carry, carry a lot of emotion, uh, including Probably carried from childhood, from you know, oh, yeah. either very, very culturally ingrained media and, messaging, cultural messaging, parenting. And then you're trying to, you know, why do people become more liberal when they go to cities? Because they get more exposed mm-hmm. to different cultures, to different ideas. And they go, ah. Oh, what I was told as a child might not be true. So that's why people become more liberal at cities. It's not that, you know, wow, there's some magical fairy dust that gets sprinkled on everybody as soon as they get to a city. It's they get a more nuanced view of life. Right. And, and, or the, the people who go to college become more liberal because they're being brainwashed (laughs) or they're learning more things and exposed (laughs) to more things. And they're being able to make up their mind and be like, Oh, this very closed off view that I had in this, town I came from of 3,000 people that no, most people don't ever leave, I'm now reading these books and hearing about experiences and talking to people from other parts of the world. And so anyway, yeah. but uh, the other co- component or, or concept that it reminded me of that kind of exactly what you said is I'm sure you're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I, I love this one. <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to a great podcast. I'll see if you can find it. 
um, by the guys that invented it. Mm. Um, it was fascinating to, to hear them talk about it. Uh, so the concept of the, to simplify it to its absolute most simple, um, the, the less you know, the more you think you know. Uh-huh. Um, that's like the most simple version of it. And yeah. it is a lot more complex than that. Right. But we see that play out all the time. I, I, I used to see that all the time with sports coaches. The, the less they knew about how complex the sport could be, the more simple they thought it was. And right, we're just going to train this way because that's the way to do it. Uh-huh. The more you understand about, uh, you know, about psychology, about physiology, at the end of my coaching career, I was a really, you know, cycling coaching career, I was a really knowledgeable experienced cycling coach and i would look and think oh my god there's so much more for me to know yeah that, and you know. The, way, the way i always say it is the the opposite maybe from my own uh viewpoint of the world is the more i learn the more i realize i don't know um exactly there's just yeah. so much more to learn uh yeah. and again for anybody and and again this is that political thing of oh bill gates is out to you know whatever and that's it like that's all you need to know. Into right, your whatever it is, but, uh, you know, and that's all I need to know. And I don't really need any evidence to support it, you know, again, whatever it is. And, and so therefore that's it. And if you see, there is a, if you got, if anyone wants to Google it, isn't familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, there's a, a graph. And again, that uh, level of the concept of knowledge is super high in the beginning. And then as time goes on and you, you learn more things, you're, you realize that, yeah, that, that, uh, awareness of how much you actually know is very low. Eventually, like that's wisdom down the line, I guess, as you start to maybe get a little more down the line and maybe you can focus on one or two areas where you're an expert and can even speak on it to some extent with some knowledge. But, um, and that's why, again, I love doing these, these podcasts. I'm super grateful for people like you coming on here and having these conversations with me, sharing what they know. Uh, and we can kind of, again, challenge each other's biases and, um, and, and hopefully not just become an echo chamber of, of, uh, you know, uh, con, con, uh, agreeing on the same stuff of, um, I, I had a, um, I had a coaching friend who, um, summed this up really nicely, I thought. And he said this with no malice, no, no, no judgment. He just said, talking about another coach, they know so little, they don't know how much more there is to know. Yeah. And I think that really sums it up nicely is if you don't know how vast a subject is, then you don't know how much more there is to know. And, and the problem that we face in society now is we have experts that do know how fast things are, but you know, part of the Dunning-Kruger effect is the more you know, the more hesitant you are because you're like, could there be a little bit more? Is there a bit I don't know? I'm not, I'm not sure. If you don't know and your knowledge is very limited, you seem to be very confident. So you just say, this is it. This is the way it should be. Right. And when the more knowledgeable person says, well, maybe it's not that way, really they should say it's not that way. But they <laughs> don't because they want to be absolutely sure and they want more evidence. Uh, that's an- another great quote that I saw the other day of basically the problem with the world is uh, people who don't know much have very few doubts. They're very confident. <laughs> and people who have a lot of knowledge have a lot of doubts. Doubt. Full of doubt. Because that's, that's the more you know. You're like, I, I, don't, I don't know if the vaccination is really the best thing. At some point, we have to make a decision on, on that. But, you know, uh, yeah, risk reward, same thing. Is gluten good for me or bad for me? I'm saying, well, let's, I don't know. But let's, you know, let's explore this concept. Let's go down this path. Um, and let's be willing to to talk about it. And again, I don't want to I, I hate using concepts like, oh, I'm an expert on, you know, even though I have a doctorate, a doctorate in physical therapy makes me an expert in musculoskeletal health. 
um, technically by kind of what the definitions of the words mean um, and what the education should imply. But again, I know people who have doctors, same you know degree as I do, um, that either didn't continue their education. And, you know, I would say I spent a quarter of a million dollars at least on on just, you know, uh, around the, the human body education over the last whatever 15 years that I've gone through this whole process. And uh, again, do I know the most about it? No, I know a lot. Um, and, and when it comes to and then but there again, could be somebody else that comes in and knows like 100 percent more than you do on hands. Right. You know, oh, yeah. or, 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 you know, 200 percent more than you do on how the eye functions. Right. And, and that's what we tend to see, isn't it? As we become more expert, our field of knowledge gets smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. And it's why people think they're experts on everything when they have very little knowledge about each subject. And then when you become more and more knowledgeable, you realize how intricate your own subject is. You become more and more narrow. You know, I started as a cycling coach. I coached everybody. By the end of my career, I just wanted to coach track sprinters, which is the smallest subset of that sport, because that was where I felt that I had the most knowledge. And if I wanted to be a really good coach, I needed to have a lot of knowledge. They say the riches are in the niches. So I still I still haven't gone, gone to the point where I've niched down myself. So maybe I will. will you get you there could be the day. world's greatest expert on big toes. There you go. Nobody knows more than you about the big toe. <laughs> you are the man on the big toe. <laughs> Hopefully, that's that's something. I don't I, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that one. Um, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I appreciate okay. so far where we've gone. Mm. Unless there's any other major closing thought you had or wanted to share with the people? I guess, you know, my, my offering to people is where is your dogma and where is your confirmation bias? So what is the belief that you could get most angry about when challenged, yet you haven't really researched? What is that mm. thing that you're holding on to that's getting in your own way? Because for you to enjoy life more, to be more successful at what you do, there's something getting in the way of it. What could that be? Uh, you know, you can reach out to me if you want to talk about that more one-to-one. -one. We run men's groups. You can be part of that. My wife runs women's groups. Um, but really, I just, I just want to leave people with what's that thing that's getting in the way of you being the best version of what you are? And it's usually some held belief, either some limiting belief or some held belief that's stopping you from being able to progress. Gotcha. Well, tell everyone where they can find you if they did want to reach out to you. Uh, so mypcoaching.org is our website. And you can find us Maximize Your Potential Coaching on Facebook and Instagram and, and YouTube. There you go. Guys, check it out. Tons of great content on there. Um, hopefully, we'll have a, a part two on this. And again, I'm definitely going to update folks on my experience tomorrow, looking forward to my first uh, MYP men's group. Uh, we're going to sign off here, guys. Hope you got at least 1% better from this episode. Feel free to comment, like, share, uh, review, rate, uh, smash that like button, whatever, all that fun stuff that happens. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have an awesome, healthy, retrospective, introspective day. We'll, we'll call it all that good stuff. And uh, we'll, uh, peace out. Thanks. And, uh,